more appropriate? I'm, an, I'm old school here. I, 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 I heard Miles. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lynn Dietz, and uh, just a precious friend to, uh, to us here at Hillside, has spoken here on a number of occasions, and uh, we just want to bless him uh, today as he serves Jesus and us uh, with the word. Would you mind, uh, maybe just stand and, and pray uh, with me? So again, Lord, we come to you with just gratitude in our hearts for uh, the people that you put into our lives who are our models, who have responded to your call and uh, uh, have obeyed your promptings in their lives and have borne great fruit as a result. And Lynn is one of those precious brothers that have done that. Lord, thank you for his servant heart and his, uh, his uh, servant heart to you, first of all, and then to your people. Lord, what a, a precious thing you've done in and through him. So we bless him today and ask for your grace to be upon him and upon us as we uh, seek to hear your voice. So we thank you, Lord, uh, for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. I, uh, it's a privilege to be here again. And uh, I thought you were going to say hundreds of thousands of pastors. I, 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 there's only about 160, you know. No. One of the pastors that I have uh, responsibility for is, is, uh, is Derwin. Um, so if you could pray for me, that would be really good. Uh, Derwin is alive and well. That wasn't just something shot, you know, uh, a number of months ago. Uh, uh, we had lunch uh, in Calgary a couple of, uh, well, it was about two months ago. And, I, and uh, he says, are you around? I said, yeah. He says, let's do lunch. And I said, how about Mexican? He says, right on. So we had lunch in Calgary. He is alive. He is well. And uh, he seems to be doing okay. And so that probably is real. Leave it to Derwin to, to check in with you halfway through his sabbatical. Like when I talk to guys about going on sabbatical, I say, you know, totally unplug. Totally unplug. That's good. I mean, just, just make that separation for a period of time and, and don't re-engage. What does he do? He goes and he, you know, hey, how you doing? But that's Derwin. That's his heart, right? And uh, so that's really cool. Derwin's a good leader. You have a good guy. And uh, it's always uh, good to hang out with Derwin. And he leads a good church. It's good to be here and to fellowship with you. Yeah, so I'm a regional minister. So my congregation is pastors and church leaders from Winnipeg to Vancouver. And so I do a lot of traveling. And uh, I engage in congregations across Western Canada, for the purposes of helping them love God, to love their neighbor and make disciples. And that's a, what we're doing in the EMCC, is we're all about making disciple makers who make disciple makers who make disciple makers. So I understand you're uh, introducing and talking about the way of Jesus, that's pretty cool. Uh, that's a disciple making uh, platform that we're pushing out there and have been for a number of years. And it's just this process of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to go on a disciple-making journey that impacts other people, that they could go on a disciple-making journey, that they could impact other people, that they could go on a disciple-making journey that impacts other people. So that's 2 Timothy 2, 20, 22. That Paul said, and the things you've heard me say is to Timothy, entrust to faithful men, reliable men, who'll be able to in turn share that with others. That's disciple-making to the fourth generation. So that's our focus, and that's what we're doing today. So... Um, I'm going to be talking about uh, uh, the third one. I am learning to uh, 
be like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and character. So let's throw up a picture of Jenny. Let's go to the next one there. So this is my granddaughter. This was, she's a bit much younger then, but Jenny is um, quite uh, a gal, full of energy. Um, and um, it's um, a challenge just to keep attention, her attention, but she's just a sweetheart. This was uh, in the wintertime, we were at a sledding party, and just not soon after this, Jenny and I were in three, I live in Three Hills, Alberta, we were out for a walk on a winter afternoon, it was a late afternoon, and we were walking through some fairly deep snow, and we'd come up to this really deep patch, and I said, Jenny, let me walk in front of you, I'll break the trail. She says, no, Papa, I will break the trail for you. So uh, she gets ahead of me, and she's lifting up her little legs, and she's plowing through snow to break a trail for Papa. And I thought that was kind of nice. And then, and then not too long after, she goes, okay, Papa, your turn. <laughs> okay, Jenny, so I started breaking the trail, and she was walking in my trail. Disciple-making, right? And, uh, so, and then we came up onto this football field in Three Hills, and the sun was just beginning to set, and, and you could see uh, Venus just showing, the evening star, right, the first one that comes out at night. And so I was talking to her about uh, the planet Venus, that it's the brightest um, star in the sky, and there it is right there. And um, I said, I told her why it shines brightest. I told her that it's called the evening star. I said it has no light in and of itself. It depends upon the reflection of the sun to shine brighter than any other natural body in the night sky except the moon. Because it's, cloud, uh, it's shrouded in, in clouds, we would take no notice of the evening star unless it reflected the sun. Isn't that interesting? We wouldn't even know it was there unless it reflected the sun. Venus gains its fame and reputation from the amount of light that it reflects. Its glory is not its own. It belongs to the sun. It has no glory in and of itself. It gains its reputation because it reflects the sun. What about us? Who do we reflect? What do we reflect as we live out our lives? And do people notice us? So we see in Scripture that our calling as followers of Jesus is to be a reflection of Jesus. That third statement, I'm learning to be like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and character. A reflection of Jesus. And we do that by being transformed into his likeness to live like Jesus, for Jesus, with Jesus, in the power of the spirit of Jesus. That text up there, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And it was actually Jesus who initiated this theme when he said in the second verse, Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And as a family of churches across Canada, known as the Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada, and you've got about 150, uh, 150 sister churches 
Welcome to the family. That, that, that's, that's who we are across the country. We are determined to be a reflection of Jesus so that God might receive glory. That's our firm foundation. We are determined to reflect Jesus to our world, to our community, so that God might receive glory. And one way we're doing this is by following the way of Jesus as expressed in these seven guiding statements. And these statements, uh, come up there next one. Uh, These seven statements are a framework for what a disciple-making journey of Jesus looks like. We had been asked by pastors, you know, okay, so we're all about the Great Commission, Great Commandment. Flesh that out. When you talk about what is a disciple, what is a disciple? What actually does that look like? This is what that looks like. These seven guiding statements help frame a disciple-making journey. And just memorizing this, which we want everybody to do, just living this out is not the full, um, is, is not the end. The end is when we live like this and we see multiplication happening, then we know that we're hitting that disciple-making movement across Canada that we're looking for. So this is basically the language of a disciple-making journey and what can frame a disciple-making movement across the country. And I understand you're unpacking that right now. That's just the beginning. It's good information, it's good knowledge, but from there we move to incorporating it, living it out in our lives, and that helps us move on this disciple-making journey where we help others. So I wanna focus on the third statement. I'm learning to be like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and character. So let's look at some definitions. Attitude. Well, attitude is personal view. It's um, the posture of our heart. Have you ever told your kids, I, I did, son, change your attitude. And anybody ever heard that? Someone said, you know, you need to change your attitude. Have you ever said that to your children? Like, you know, no one, I'm the only one that ever said that to my, unbelievable. Well, anyways, that's what I did with my boys, raised three, boy, raised three boys. You need to change your attitude. You've got the same pants to get happy. You know, am I speaking to the choir? Okay, yes, okay. Thought I was totally off base on that. Like, where did I learn to be a parent? So, personal view, right? It's the, the posture of our heart. Behavior is our responses. And so that's what we do. It's the action of that posture. And then character is reputation. Reputation. It's distinctive qualities, what that posture and that action reflect. The planet Venus has a reputation for being the evening star because it reflects so much of the light of the sun. That's its reputation. So when we think of people who have a reputation for how they shine, who comes to mind? And if you think of people in your own life, um, you know, you think, well, who has a reputation that really shines? What reputation do they have because of their attitudes, their behaviors, and their character? So, for example, what reputation comes to mind when you see this person? Immediately. What's her reputation? Well, okay, okay, yeah. Caring. Service. Helpful. Love. Sacrifice, oh, and on and on and on, right? So we get this. All you have to do is your brain has to see a picture. And immediately, you know there's something about that person. She has reflected all these things and more. That's reputation. That's character. And you only have to just see a picture. And immediately, you began 
to form and shape in your mind who that person was. That's powerful. Everybody has a reputation, and when people see you, what do they think of? Now, don't do this. But, you know, sometimes, wouldn't it be something if, you know, you'd put your picture up there and you'd say, okay, what do you see? It's like, yeah, probably don't want to do that. But um, that's that kind of thing. What opinion comes to mind when people think about you? What opinion comes to mind when people think about me? What reputation do I have? What is my character that is reflected? There was a Greek, there was a word the Greek citizens of Paul's day used for reputation, and that was the word doxa. In fact, there's a church in Seattle called doxa. It's what one thinks, the opinion you have of someone, your personal view on the matter. And so doxa happens at Tim Hortons over a cup of coffee hundreds of thousands of times every day. People are sharing their opinion, or Starbucks, or the local coffee shop, or over the kitchen table. People are sharing their opinion about something. That's doxa, what you think. And the root of doxa also meant a reputation which had substance in it. And so for the Greek citizen, the supreme ideal or worth, which, or their mission statement in life, was, was summed up in the word doxa, or reputation. They sought a reputation that had substance to it. That was one of their cultural values. To be highly thought of was a treasured response from the community, and a person's worth was measured by their reputation. Well, the New Testament writers knew all about this word doxa, and then they began to incorporate it in their letters. We now call the scriptures. And when they added doxa to the scriptures, it came to mean glorify. Glorify. Here's an example, Romans 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify doxa, there it is, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this has been picked up through the last 2,000 years in the church. In the 1640s, English and Scottish church leaders and theologians put together a catechism, and that's a short list of questions and answers. And many of us have maybe gone through a catechism. It's to help teach doctrine and belief to uh, to people, and one they could memorize. And so this list was called the Westminster Catechism. Is anybody familiar with the Westminster Catechism? The first question in the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And, and those English and Scottish theologians, they had it right. that They formed that fairly well. Our chief end is to be a reflection of Jesus. Our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And in Paul's day, the word reputation came to mean glorify. So when glorify was brought from culture into Scripture, the word doxa not only had the concept of opinion and reputation, but then it began to be attached to the character of God. And then it began to be a reflection of honor and radiance. So you have Opinion and reputation and then honor and radiance because it was attached to the character of God. They were applying it to the identity and the character and the purposes of God. 
And because of this connection, then the word doxa also came to mean glory or the glory of God and something that's inherently, that belongs to his character, his identity, and his purpose. And it's not only a reflection of God's identity, character, and purpose, it's also something that we give back to God. We glorify God. So as, as your leaders, worship leaders, are up here um, every Sunday morning, with their kick and sound, I love the telly and the flute, and the, that bass thing is pretty cool, and the drums, and the, like the piano, and you, what you, this music, the words, the expression is, is a glorification of God. We are here to worship and glorify God. That's what we do, to glorify God. And then the second thing we do is then the glory then is reflected to others. We give glory to God, but then it's reflected through us to others, like the planet Venus with the sun. Only that's S-U-N. We reflect the S-U-N. Did I get that right? The S-O-N, and never mind. You know. <laughs> I didn't get that right. It happens. If my wife were here, she'd go, Lynn, no, you did it again. Okay, let me back out of that. I'm in the weeds. Uh, but So remember the text, though? Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Powerful text of Scripture, very key. And that's what was going on with Moses. Remember that? He came down from the mountain. He was hanging out with God and his face reflected the glory of God to the point where he had to put a veil over his face, right? This amazing reflection. So when the writers applied this word to God, glorify came to mean to enhance the reputation of God. So when we glorify God, what we're doing is we're actually enhancing his reputation in our world and is to be honored and glorified. So, two ideas then are inherent in the word doxa. Number one, it reflects, it refers to the glory of God, that's his identity and his character and his purpose. And number two, it refers to the act of glorifying God, mankind joining with all creation to bring glory to God, enhancing his reputation through our attitudes, our behaviors, and our character. So we reflect Jesus to our world as we learn to be like Jesus in our attitudes, behaviors, and character. So that's what was going on in the New Testament. So there, that was that Greek doxa uh, component. So just as the Greeks had a word for glory, the Hebrew language also had a word for glory in the Old Testament, and that's the Hebrew word kavod, glory. And that's the word used most often over 200 times in the Old Testament, kavod. Interestingly enough, kavod means weight, to be heavy. Isn't that interesting? Glory means to be heavy, to honor and or respect, and it too has the idea of reputation. But mostly it means weight, heavy. It's used in Genesis 45, verse 13, where Joseph says to his brothers after he reveals who he is to them, crazy story, right? Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt, and that's the word reputation. Tell my father about the honor 
accorded me in Egypt and about everything you've seen and bring my father down here quickly. Joseph was saying, go back, go back and tell dad about my honor. Go back and tell dad about my reputation. Go back and tell dad about my glory here in Egypt. Go back and tell dad that in Egypt I am heavy. Go back and tell dad I carry a lot of weight around here. That's basically what he was saying. I carry a lot of weight, and he did. He was second in the nation. That's the, that's the dynamic of it there. So there's another significant occurrence of kavod, and it appears in the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Give weight to your father and your mother. The word honor, same root. Honor your father and mother. Give weight to your parents, to what they say, to who they are. Rabbi Avram David explains, part of kavod is to give weight to another person's opinion, to see that their thoughts have weight. Even if you don't agree with their thinking, but you give honor, you, you, you give weight to that, you think about it. So the basic meaning of the word kavod, glory, is weight, honor, and respect. So, in the New Testament, the word for glory is doxa, rooted in reputation of God. And in the Old Testament, the word for glory is kavod, rooted in weight, being held in honor and respect of God. So this whole theme, the glory of God, is this significant theme that runs throughout the Bible, and it's one that gives followers of Jesus great purpose in life. To enhance his reputation in our world and to give weight to who he is and what he says, giving him honor and respect, reflecting who he is through our attitudes, behaviors, and character. Now, we can never add anything to the glory of God because it is inherent to his own essence, but we can certainly reflect the glory of God to others by learning to be a reflection of Jesus in our attitudes, behaviors, and character. The psalmist said in Psalm 96, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Declare his glory. Isaiah prophesied, and he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. It gets better than that. The word glory in this verse has the meaning glory or to beauty. To beauty. Jeremiah prophesied, for as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory, but they would not hear. The intent that God has there, the word glory there means beauty. So the intent is that God's desire that he would be made to look beautiful through the example of his people, that we would be this sash around his ways to bring him beauty, to bring him honor, to bring him glory, that we would be this beauty mark on God. That was his intent, that we would make God beautiful, that we would be a people that reflect his glory. What a standard. What a calling. God's saying, I want you to make me look good. I want you to beautify me. I think we just have to let that sink in a little bit. 
And how do we do that? Pretty tough in and of ourselves. But we do that by being a reflection of Jesus. And we can do that by being a reflection of Jesus to our world, to those around us, in our attitudes, behaviors, and character. The Apostle Paul reflected the same theme in his letter to Titus, so that in every way they will make the teachings about God our Savior attractive. Well, there's that dynamic again, right? Peter, live such good lives among the pagans that they, though accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, and even Jesus, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. We can never add anything to the glory of God in and of ourselves because it's inherently his own essence, but we can reflect the glory of God to others by learning to be a reflection of Jesus in our attitudes, behaviors, and character. So let's get back to the question of reputation, and let's take a bit of a different twist on it. In your world, what does God have a reputation for? The people you hang out with, your family, your friends, your coworkers, the people you play with, what is God's reputation in their lives? What, what, have you had those kind of conversations? What's God's reputation like? God's reputation is one that has substance in it and no one can improve on who he is. He's good and perfect. But his reputation does not often measure up to some people's reality. Their opinion about God is often less than who God really is. And sometimes his opinion is directly tied to the reputation of the follower of Jesus they know. Or, or the church, the local church. So what is this community's uh, view of God according to the reputation of Hillside? And, and, and that could be multiplied through all the churches, right? So what's God's reputation as it's seen through us? For, and sometimes it, their opinion is poor of him. He's perceived as capricious, unjust, unfair. I mean, you've got earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and violence and genocide. What's going on? Is there supposed to be a God in control? Right? You, 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 there's the art, so then you have that conversation, right? Or maybe it's not just what they perceive through their lens from an earthly point of view. Maybe it was a godless formation in their early years. One of my sons had a friend whose father, if you catch that, <laughs> planted godless seeds into the lives of his family. Godless. And then that produced its own fruit, and that happens. Or maybe a traumatic, traumatic experience that someone has, walking along, traumatic experience happens, is like, oh, what did God do that to me for? And then there's blame put on God, and we're driven away from God instead of driven towards God. Maybe it's trauma, maybe it's an early teaching, 
Uh, maybe it's poor behavior from somebody. So in many ways, the reputation of God is directly tied to the reputation of the follower of Jesus or, or the local church. But when a follower of Jesus lives like Jesus, for Jesus, with Jesus, in the power of the Spirit of Jesus, the reputation of God then is enhanced and God is glorified. That's what the young Jesus did, Luke 2. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus made his father look good. Jesus made God look good. He enhanced the reputation of his father in heaven. So what happens when we're learning to be like Jesus in our attitudes, behaviors, and characters? Well, there's at least two things that go on when we live like Jesus. Number one, living like Jesus reflects the glory of God through us to others. That's what we've been talking about. And so our main text, that one, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So then how do we actually live out that third statement, I'm learning to be like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and character. Like, what, what can we leave out of those doors with that we can hang on to? What does this actually look like? Well, the transformation into the likeness of Jesus happens as we reflect the fruit of the Spirit. Because the actual DNA of a disciple is a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life. That's the DNA of a follower of Jesus, the spirit-filled, spirit-led life, living out the fruit of the spirit, which is the fruit of Jesus' life in us, and that reflects the glory of God to others. But the fruit of the spirit is, can we say that together? But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Living with these attitudes and behaviors and character is a reflection of the glory of God to others. So when that situation arises and uh, someone is just testing your patience, when we reflect the fruit of the spirit of patience back, that's a reflection of Jesus. When the command of scripture is to love your enemy, do good to those who hate you and despitefully use you, when we love our enemy, is that not a reflection of Jesus? Does that not shine bright? I, I know we could go on and on through that whole list, right? That's a whole other sermon series, and probably Darren's preached on the fruit of the Spirit. Now, somebody has, I'm sure. Number two, living like Jesus prompts curiosity in others about how you live and why you do the things you do. And so this is Peter. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And that's a powerful text of scripture. So what are the things that we do that set apart Christ as Lord? What do we do that makes God look good to our world? Well, just a few thoughts as, as we finish up here. What makes God look good? When our soul focuses on pleasing God. We, we have this innate desire to please ourselves. I must have my way. We learn it at the age of at least two. Um, but when our soul focuses on pleasing, God, how can I please you today in my attitude, behavior, and character? What would be pleasing to you, Father? How can I please you today? When our attitudes, behaviors, and character reflect kingdom values, and there are a lot of values being kicked around in our world, where we live, in our culture, on the news. Uh, values are all over the place. And, uh, but what are the values of the kingdom? 
What are the values of the kingdom? When we live out kingdom values, that's a reflection of Jesus. And uh, when we give weight to God and not share his glory with others, God will not share his glory with others. Not giving weight to other things that could come between us and God. And sometimes we rob God of his glory by making our own honor and weight more important. Look how heavy I am around here. No. Look how heavy God is around here. Setting apart Christ as Lord in our life enhances the reputation of God uh, and reflects his glory to our world. So we reflect the glory of God to others by learning to be, uh, to be a reflection of Jesus in our attitudes, behaviors, and character. So that's our focus as followers of Jesus, our motivation for making disciples, to proclaim the glory of God to our world, to enhance the reputation of God, to make God look good in our world, and to be a reflection of Jesus. Shrouded in clouds, we'd take no notice of Venus, no notice of the evening star unless it reflected the sun, but Venus gains its reputation and its fame from the amount of light it reflects from the sun. The same is true of the follower of Jesus. The world would take no notice of us until we become a reflection of Jesus in our attitudes, behaviors, and character. And Jesus said, let your light shine before men and glorify your Father in heaven. Venus gains its reputation by being a reflection of the sun. Followers of Jesus gain their reputation by reflecting Jesus. Enhancing the reputation of Jesus, being a reflection of Jesus in our attitudes, behaviors, and character. I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Hillside Community Church. For those, that have been a long, for those that have been here a long time, for those that have been here a short time, thank you for everyone. Jesus, I pray that you would help this body of believers become that body that enhances the reputation of God wherever they go, that glorify Jesus in all they are, all they say, all they do in their attitudes, in their behaviors, in their character. I pray that you would fill this body of believers with your Holy Spirit. I pray that there would be a concerted desire and effort on the, on the part of this body of believers that they would be that body that would um, become like Jesus, become more like Jesus, reflect the character of Jesus. I pray that the character of this congregation would reflect Jesus more and more, that this body of believers would be known as a people of love, a people of joy, a people of peace, a congregation of patience, a body of believers of kindness and goodness, that they would be known to be faithful, full of faithfulness and gentleness, and this body would be known as a body that's self-controlled. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Prayer, please come forward and we'd love to pray with you. Uh, refreshments are at the back. Um, but as, as we close, uh, go, go with this blessing. May our God, who is the God of all grace, grant you this grace, that as you go from here, as you go out these doors, that you would be a reflection of the glory of our great and wonderful Savior. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be blessed.